Hello, everyone. I'm Priest Willis, and this is Missions and Marketplace Podcast, episode number 42. Today, I'm joined by Seth Goldman. In 1997, after going for a long run, Seth was frustrated with the sugar-filled drinks at his corner market. So he literally brewed up a beverage in his kitchen and turned it into what we know today as Honest Tea. The company's mission was to create and promote great tasting, truly healthy, and organic beverages. In 2008, Coca-Cola bought 40% stake of Honest Tea, and in 2011, it acquired the company. Seth has remained with Honest Tea since the acquisition as president, and get this, TEO. Today, Honest Tea is the top-selling organic bottled tea in the U.S. and offers a wide range of lower-sugar drinks, sold in more than 100,000 outlets across the U.S., The reason why I thought it was important that we talk to Seth was because Seth started off his business like many of us. He didn't have the necessary tools. He didn't have distribution and all this other stuff that's now in the place. It takes time to build a business. And a lot of times what we tend to do is write off businesses that are established and just say, of course, they're successful because look at them. They're here, but they had to start somewhere. And Seth has an amazing story about where he started. The story starts like many of us. It starts with an idea and then a decision to go get it. So without further ado, here is the co-author of Mission in the Bottle. And here is a man on a mission, Seth Goldman. Welcome to Missions and Marketplace Podcast. Join us as we talk to business and thought leaders to discuss their passions in and outside of business and how it drives them to give and be citizens of goodwill. Let's get started. Hi, Seth. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Priest. Great to be with you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. I was mentioning to you offline here that the first time I heard about your story was when you were on The Big Idea with Donnie Deutsch, and I'm going to put a link to that. But you were somebody very inspirational. I think people talk about Tom Shoes and all these social conscious businesses, but at least from my perspective, you were the ones that really tapped into having this social approach to business early on. Thank you. Yeah, we call it mission-driven business. You know, we, we set about a purpose and then we build a business to just keep delivering on that mission. That's good stuff. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, if you could share your sure. personal journey? Sure. Well, I actually, in college, thought I was going into politics. I was a government major and, you know, ran a bunch of different campaign organizations and studied government. And the other thing that I did in college was I ran track and cross-country. So these two things converge at a later point. Anyway, I got after college, I, I got involved in a bunch of different nonprofits and some government working for a senator just around issues that I cared about. And it wasn't until I started getting involved in a, uh, a nonprofit in Baltimore that I, I was working in a nonprofit, but I really came to appreciate that management skills, if you have the right skills and the right organization, can help bring change on a big scale. So I ended up going to business school. I thought I was going to business school with the idea that I'd go back into the nonprofit world. And I went back into, I'd been doing national service work uh, before, I worked for what was a precursor to AmeriCorps. The change was that I shifted to the private sector, but I was still doing you know, what I consider national service work, thinking about what are some goals that I have for society and how to pursue them. And it turns out that for me, that I found the most effective way to pursue those goals was through for-profit business. And so... I had, uh, this is where the running element comes in because I (laughs) I was initially working for a company that was doing socially responsible investing. And after a presentation, I I went for a run 
And after the run, I was thirsty. And I, when, I, when I went to the beverage cooler, I said, all these drinks really look the same. They all have the same sweetness level. They have different colors or different names or fizz or no fizz, but they're basically all the same. And that was when I connected the dots to a conversation I'd had in business school with a professor where we agreed there was an opportunity for a less sweet drink. And uh, that professor became my co-founder for Honesty. Wow. And that's that's Barry, correct? Yeah, exactly. Barry nailed up and he's still at the Yale School of Management and uh, we're still good friends. You know, so first of all, it's interesting that you went to business school, but you wanted to come out and work in a nonprofit, right? A lot of people don't go to business school to kind of get involved in nonprofits to some degree. No, it's true. But the Yale School of Management has a particular, uh, the way they look at it is the management skills, you need skills, whether you're nonprofit, for-profit or government. And so actually it was a perfect place for me to go. That's really good. So you talked about you going on a run, finding out that there were nothing but soft drinks out there and different drinks that were just full of sugar, quite frankly. So this gave you an idea that, you know what, I should really bring something to the market that has a low amount of sugar, still has some relatively good flavor to it. I'm sure that took time to process through. But in my mind, you hit it at a perfect time because America was starting to pick up this idea that we don't need to have so much soda and sugar and stuff. So you're kind of hitting this business idea right at the time where America's realizing that we're getting too fat on drinks or becoming unhealthy off of drinks. So how did that start for you? Well, to be honest with you, Priest, we were actually probably a little too early on it. (laughs) This got started back in in 1998. And so talking about one teaspoon of sugar per serving or, you know, we were way ahead of where the consumers were. So it took, there were some years of challenge in those early years. We we got into natural food stores and and what we were selling that resonated with those natural food customers. But it took a while to get the traction in more mainstream accounts. And of course, today we, we are carried in over 130,000 stores, which is great. But in the early years, it was slower. And you know, I'd like to think the consumer has grown up as, alongside with their taste and their health awareness in the same way that our business has. Walk me through this a little bit, Seth. How do you take a beverage to your point that isn't filled with sugar, which the customer, I guess, in 1998 was looking for? So you corrected me there. How do you then take a beverage and say, here, drink this, So the beverage market in itself is relatively saturated, I would think. And now you're taking something that goes against their taste, sort of, and Mm -hmm. inviting that as an option. How did you do that with this brand here? So the first thing we did was we focused on a a core channel, and that was the natural foods channel. And that was a place that they were willing to try our product because it fit with what those consumers were looking for. And we just focused on that channel. We gave out samples in those stores, probably more samples than we sold. <laughs> you know, but we gave out a lot of samples. <laughs> and we became the best-selling tea in the natural food stores. And so the good news was that over those first 10 years, a natural foods channel kept growing while the mainstream stores were seeing less growth happen. And they realized we want to be part of future growth. We've got to be able to do what these natural food stores are doing. So the fact that we chose a focus channel and we made the right bet that natural foods was the right place to start served us well as we started to scale the business. So when you talk about natural food stores, one of the example, at least for our audience, would be maybe like a Whole Foods. Would you say that was the first? Absolutely. Yeah. Whole Foods was our first account for sure. Um, but also the cooperatives, the uh, independent natural food stores. But we, yeah, our first sale, I went to Whole Foods up in Rockville, Maryland, their buying office. I had five thermoses of tea and I got an empty Snapple bottle. I pasted a label on it and I brought it to the buyer and I said, you know, I'd love to sell this in your store. 
the scary part was the buyer said, yo, great, we'll take 15,000 bottles. And that was, you know, we'd never made it anywhere else but uh, my kitchen. So that was a scary moment, but that we figured out how to make it. That's what I was going to ask. How did you work out this distribution process? Now, first of all, I'm shocked that they asked for, I don't know that I ever heard that, that they asked for 15,000 bottles without here you have a Snapple bottle and you're like, I can do this. And they're like, we're on with you. How did Which you? Great. And, and I'm so thankful. I'm still so thankful to Whole Foods for taking that early bet with us. Yeah, definitely. How did you scale at such a fast pace when here? I can only imagine that it was just you and Barry, but I, I do imagine that you had a previous job. So you had somewhat some startup capital, whereas if somebody else is starting a business with zero capital, that obviously would probably be relatively impossible. But how did you do it at such a quick pace? Yeah, well, we did raise some money from investors. Uh, Barry and I put in our own money and our parents and my sister and some of Barry's friends put in money. And then we went to um, different bottling plants. We had to find a place where we could brew the tea. And so we went to you know, places that were packing um, jelly and juice and soda, beer, anybody who was putting liquid in a bottle was fair game. We eventually found an apple juice plant up in Buffalo, New York, that was willing to give it a try. And then the goal, the challenge was how do we figure out how to brew the tea? Because one of the things that makes honest tea different is it's still brewed with tea leaves. Most bottled tea isn't brewed on site. It's, you know, they'll, they'll make a concentrator or a syrup. And so we were using real tea leaves. We had to figure out how to brew them, how to filter out the tea leaves. And uh, that was quite messy. The first bottles we made had, you know, sort of a half inch of uh, sediment on the bottom. But we were able to figure that out as, as we grew to keep on improving it. You know, I think this is important to bring up. I read a Forbes article from you that you must have participated in maybe four years ago or so, where you talked about, you know, there's certainly honest tea in itself is saying, hey, you know, we're natural. What we have is good for your body. But you also kind of pride yourself on the business around honest tea, right? So the marketing that you do behind it and what you do internally is in terms of building out your team. How do you keep such a structure in line with your Barry's initial vision with the business? How do you yeah. keep it honest at its core? Well, the best part about the way we've designed the business is that, you know, I talked about a mission-driven business and the mission is in the bottle. That's literally, we use that phrase mission in the bottle, meaning that everything we sell is organic. Everything we sell has a, that lower calorie profile uh, and all the teas that we sell are made with fair trade tea and fair trade sugar. And so that really helps identify the brand. It helps keep the, the guardrails. And, and when people think about honest tea, hopefully those are the things they think about too. And as a result, we attract a lot of people who are you know, attracted to those values, who want to help spread our mission. What's nice is because we have a product that's sold in a sealed package, uh, it's much harder for that to be diluted or watered down. You know, it's if it's our product, it's got our name on it, it's going to have those attributes on the shelf. This may sound like a silly question, but why does it matter to start a business that matters? Well, for me, as I said, if I weren't doing this, I might have gone into politics. So, you know, for me, this is about how to pursue ideas I believe in. So for me, I care about the health trajectory of our country. We have a population that is moving in the wrong direction. The average life expectancy of the United States, even though we're the wealthiest country in the history of the world with more knowledge of science and medicine and nutrition than any civilization has had, our average life expectancy is ranked 40th out of the 200 countries in the world. So yeah. how does that happen? You know, it means we're off on the wrong track. And so we need to be able to bring to market products that can help get us onto the right track. And then for me, thinking about environment and agriculture, how can we bring a more sustainable form of agriculture to ecosystems around the world? And then around labor standards, when we've got huge disparities in global wealth, how do we create community wealth in communities that don't have access to economic opportunity? And that's where fair trade comes in. So these are causes... I care about 
I'm not running for office, but if I were, that might be my political platform. <laughs> and the fact is that, you know, consumers do vote every day when they decide to, to buy our products. And for me, that's why this matters. That's why I've chosen this path. You know, what? what's interesting, and the reason why I asked this question is because a lot of times people think that people get started in business selfishly just to become rich. You hear about so many scandals with CEOs and business folks, and it seems like the customer is the last person they think of. So it's refreshing, uh, no pun intended, it's refreshing (laughs) to hear about a business that kind of steps in and the consumer and the world that we live in is all top of mind. So the product that is created is really with you in mind. Absolutely. Well, and, and the changes in mind as well. I mean, I'll, I'm the chairman of the board of a company called Beyond Meat, which makes a plant-based protein. And here too, this is a case where the cause it over intersects with the business opportunity. So the cause for me is if we can create more plant-based meals in the American population, we know that's going to be a good thing for the health. It's also a good thing for the environment. And so, you know, by helping to build that business, we are also pursuing it because and it's it is, as I said, it's a great business opportunity. And to me, they are two sides of the same coin. Uh, a change opportunity isn't going to be exciting to work for if it doesn't lead to growth, if they can't make an impact. I don't have an interest in just doing something that I believe in that isn't going to really make change happen. Well, I think you're blessed because you start a business, you find somebody else, one of your professors, no less, that kind of shares the same vision, essentially, in Barry, that is. One of the questions that I want to ask is that how does the dynamic of the partnership between you and Barry, you know, why is that so important as you build partnerships? And and pe- the reason why I think this is a question that people want to hear is because people are hesitant to bring on partners within the business yeah. because, again, you hear so many horror stories about partnerships being the crash of the business. No matter how powerful your mission is, when you have two personalities that collide, it doesn't work. So how have you and Barry been able to take your dynamics, maybe of even being different and, you know, some shared thought, but also different thought, and but make it work for the betterment of the business? Yeah, there's no question that some businesses crash because the partnerships don't work out. I think our business succeeded because we had a partnership that did work out. So mm. Barry and I are, are very different people. We have very different skills, but I would say they're complementary skills. And yet we also see the world and we see the opportunity in the same way. So before I launched the company, I traveled up to New Haven where Barry lives and I sat across his kitchen table. We spent a whole, it was a Saturday, we spent the whole day just talking it out. You know, we really had to be on the same page, not just about what is this business going to do? What's it going to stand for? But what does this business mean to you? What does success mean to you? What would you hope for as the outright outcome? And so we were aligned from not even day one, from before day one. And that conversation continues to serve us well, uh, because we basically, you know, we're able to understand each other's roles in the company. And we were aligned. And, you know, of course, in 2011, Honesty sold to Coca-Cola. So Barry's not as involved as he was in the beginning. But, you know, now, in a sense, it's one of the Coca-Cola is an important partner. And and before we sold to Coca-Cola, we had a deep discussion with them to make sure they understood what our goals were, what we were trying to build. You know, it feels like here, too, we had a, a very positive partnership. The business is, is absolutely still the same honest brand that we built you know, out of my house, but obviously much larger and done in a way that's still consistent with our hopes for the future. 
So has the partnership with Coca-Cola been able to give you even a bigger global reach? And what aspects has it helped you from that perspective? Yeah, well, dramatically. So the first big difference is that in terms of distribution, when Coke first invested, we were in about 15,000 stores, mostly in natural food stores. Today, Honesty is sold in over 130,000 stores across the United States, and not just in the natural food stores, which we love, but also in stores like CVS or in... uh, We're offered in Subway and Chick-fil-A and Wendy's. So we have this goal of trying to democratize organic drinks in this case. We don't want to just be sold in the the wealthy and healthy areas. We want to be sold wherever beverages are sold. And that's, you know, who better to do that than the world's largest beverage company. But in addition to that, the scale has also really helped drive our emissions impact. So before Coke invested in uh, 2007, we were buying about 800,000 pounds of organic ingredients. Last year, we bought over 16 million pounds of organic ingredients. So just dramatically deeper reach and broader impact in the communities that we source from. And that helps drive change in terms of the suppliers and the farmers thinking about organic agriculture and thinking about fair trade agriculture too. So has the partnership with Coca-Cola impeded on your mission in any way? Or have you had internal struggles to say, I know this is what Coke is, but here's where we draw the line with honesty? Well, you know, fortunately, they get it. They understand when they made the investment that one reason they wanted to invest in Honesty is because Honesty was speaking to a customer they weren't speaking to. And Honesty was growing in an area that they weren't growing. And, and what they've done, uh, which I appreciate, is they've respected that they don't understand this marketplace the same way we do. And they've given us really the same latitude to continue to build our business. And so they've been supportive. And where they have been able to provide help, for example, they helped us find a bottle that was a lighter weight bottle and that helped us save money. It also, we were able to you know, make more margin. We were able to turn that around and go invest back into our communities. We just last year converted all of our sugar into fair trade certified sugar. So uh, it's going to drive hundreds of thousands of dollars back to our supplier communities. It's just a, a great example where the resources Coca-Cola can help us lead to greater, greater impact. And, and now we're starting to see our brand launch in some international markets too, which is really fun. So it's been a, a very positive experience. Let's talk a little bit about, Seth, in terms of there's people out there that's listening to the podcast. They want to get involved in, you know, whether it's a food or beverage startup of some sort. And there's a lot of that popping up. Even with food trucks, people are building their own customized plate in addition to the standard dishes that you would know from American cuisine or whatever. But what are some nuggets that you would have for those people that are kind of wanting to get into the beverage and food space? You talk about beyond the meat, you know, maybe even people that want to start up in that space. What are some nuggets that you would share with them? Yeah, well, certainly one is you've got to have a very clearly differentiated proposition. You know, we didn't come to market with a, if, if everyone else was at 100 calories, we didn't come to market with a, a bottled tea that was 85 calories. We came to market with a tea that was 17 calories per, per eight ounce serving. So you could, in a blind taste test, you know, with maybe half your taste buds, you can still taste the difference with our product. And the marketplace is so competitive. You can't just be a little bit different. You have to be radically different and ideally radically better too. So thinking about that is is really important. I think the other thing that's important to recognize is if you bring out something that is innovative, how do you make sure the big competitors don't copy you? And what we had that was helpful was that we looked at the rest of the bottled tea market. Everyone else was selling such sweet drinks. So a brand like Snapple, their whole proposition was a very sweet drink. The idea that they could bring out a less sweet Snapple just is just dissonance. It doesn't really connect with their brand. So 
Did um, some people try that? Did they try to? Oh make yeah. It? Well, in fact, Snapple did. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only fair. It's only fair, Seth. You used their bottle at the beginning. That's right. Well, they gave it a try. It didn't work, <laughs> but it is a real tension. Um, you got to make sure not just that it's going to be different, but that it can can really have a competitive you know moat around what you're building. And and so for us, that was one piece. Uh, of course, the the one I go you won't be surprised to you. You know, I believe it's got to be something that connects with what you care about the world. You know, if, if we had um, just been opportunistic as we started growing, we would have listened to the advice some people give us, you know, you, you need to make your drink sweeter. Well, we made our drink sweeter. We might have grown more quickly, but we wouldn't have stood for anything. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, our point of view is let's, obviously we want to build and grow the business, but we've got to be able to, to make sure we build something that is meaningfully important to us and meaningfully different from whatever else is in the market. That's what I most appreciated about you was you, you did stick to your core values as you were building this business. And it shows today. I mean, even if people went out to read your story, if they looked at articles about you, you're really consistent about your message and you have been for over a decade. And I'm really impressed by that because to your point, people get in for all the right reasons in business, whether it's conscious capitalism, they want to do the right thing. And somewhere along the line, the right thing doesn't matter no more. And it becomes all about the bottom line. And I think you can get both. I believe in capitalism, but I also believe in the conscious capitalism. I always make the statement that I'd much rather be a 700,000 air rather than trying to skim off 300,000 to become a millionaire somewhere along the line. So, you know, it's part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you because you brought a product with a value proposition, of course into the market, into a very competitive market, and you stood out, but all along the way, you stuck true to form of who you were. And I think that story is impressive and should resonate with entrepreneurs, especially the ones you're talking to now, wanting to get into the food startup or beverage startup world. Thank you. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with what you said there. Being an entrepreneur, there's easier ways to make money, first of all. I mean, you know, just going to Wall Street or stuff like that, you know, you can, there's ways to take risk-adjusted returns. For me, this is it's a nice uh, outcome that this has been a financially rewarding enterprise, but it's certainly not the main outcome. It wasn't, you know, for me, it was really creating a, a vehicle of change. And so the money is, is nice, but that it started with that passion to do something, to build something meaningful. And, you know, that's still what, what continues to drive me. This is the first time, obviously, we've been able to have a conversation for our audience. I know the book that you and Barry put out together has been out for a while, a few years, that is. But I want you to share for our listeners a little bit about the book because I want them to go out and get it and read it for themselves. So can you tell us a bit about Mission in the Bottle book that you and Barry put together? In 2012, we put out a comic book called Mission in the Bottle, and it is the story of the business. But the goal was, I was actually, at the time, I was trying to read some of these business books by entrepreneurs, and I found them all a little bit repetitive and not that inspiring. And I realized, you know, we're not going to get the next generation of entrepreneurs to be excited if this is how we share our story. And so I, my, my oldest son uh, loved comic books. He still does. And I realized, I sort of connected the dots. Wait, if we can tell this in a comic book form, we're going to get all kinds of new people reading this story and be excited about it. And so it was a really fun book to write. It's been really fun to share. And I run into entrepreneurs all the time now who tell me about a particular page they read that really connected with them. And, you know, just like the marketplaces I described it, you've got to have a point of difference and permission in a bottle, making it a comic book and a pretty personal story. We shared a lot of the things that were going on with our families at the time. And, you know, the whole, uh, there's no, no one who builds a business who doesn't have a life 
that revolved around it. So it was useful to include all of that as well. I really want to share with the listeners. You guys have to check this book out. I read it. It's a great book. You know, Seth brings up that it's kind of a comic book theme. In fact, on the website, missioninabottle.net, you can see on there, they have different videos on there that kind of takes on this animated role of how they go through the process. I think it's really cool. It's unique in terms of how a business story is sold or approach that is. So you guys really should take the time out to check this out. If you want a business book from me, as you request sometimes this year, this is the number one book that I probably check out. You know, yeah, absolutely. So Seth, one of the things that I did recently was I put out, there's this whole thing, hashtag TBT, which is hashtag throwback Thursday. And I put out a post of myself when I was in the 10th grade. I looked at how young I was, how beautiful my skin was (laughs) and all this other stuff. And my eyes darted to my desktop that shows a picture that I send out, you know, for bio when I go speak somewhere, do something along those lines. And I was looking at the two pictures side by side. And I was thinking to myself, what would this guy, this older guy, this 42 year old guy tell this guy in the 10th grade? How would he talk to him? So looking at yourself early on in your, whether you were in college, whatever it was, what would yourself today tell that person then? about business, life? What are some key pieces that you would share? First of all, I tell that person that politics is not the only way to make change happen. That's certainly something I thought in 10th grade. I was so into the whole, whole, you know, politics, running for office. So that's the first thing I'd say. The other thing I'd say is your family is the only thing that's going to be with you throughout your life's journey. Different things come and go, but you always got to invest in that. That whenever there's a toss up, well, should I go to this meeting or this thing, like always, always prioritize your family. <laughs> and with that, I'd also say you're, you're, you only got one body. So you got to prioritize your health too. Cause if you're not, if you're not healthy, you can't be there for your family. You certainly can't be there for your business. And I, I do think I've, I've certainly done my best to follow that advice. You know, you get those three core messages you, you, and you, and you need them. You're going to have the chance to have a good, stable, balanced, productive and impactful life. That's really, really great advice. And one that I believe in, I have four kids, been married with my wife for 20 plus years. And you're absolutely right. When you're doing all this racing around, running and doing this and that, clients come, they go, vendors come, they go. But the main thing that is always in place is your family. I think that is vital, vital advice from you there. Seth, so you talked about Beyond the Meat. What are the things that you're involved in? What are you focused on? How can people get outside of the book that I talked about earlier? How can people get more involved maybe with your mission? First of all, Beyond Meat is a really exciting company. It's just launched this year. This past year, it launched something called the Beyond Burger, which is a plant-based burger. It's the first burger to be carried in the meat section at a lot of the whole food stores around the country. And keep an eye open this year, we're going to be seeing a lot of expansion for that burger. And it's amazing. It is, you know, I've been a vegetarian for over 11 years and I have swore about five years ago, I said, I'm not eating another veggie burger because they were all so bad. And this product tastes amazing. We had some friends over, some carnivores over last night for dinner and grilled it up. Some carnivores. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but they just loved it. And so, I've never had a, a carnivore, someone who's a real meat person say, wow, this tastes really good. Not just, this is good for a veggie burger, this just tastes really good. So that's a really exciting enterprise, and I look forward to seeing that business scale. I'm also on the board of a company called Ripple Foods. They sell a plant-based dairy product. It's actually made with yellow pea protein, 
So it's, uh, it has as much protein as milk, but it's smooth and creamy. And so that's another one that's going to be fun to see grow. So as you can infer from the way I'm talking, I really look at how do we bring change to our food system. And so between Honesty, Beyond Meat, Ripple, and of course, a lot of the other companies I interact with, there's a lot of change happening. And it's exciting. You know, in our lifetimes, we go back, it started probably about 15, 20 years ago, there was a, a very definite change in the way food companies started to think about not just how they grow, but their future. And so between that first 20 years ago and the next 20 years, the whole food landscape will have shifted pretty dramatically in a way it hadn't for previous decades. So we're living at an exciting time around food. And uh, I certainly hope we see some of those ripples carry out into other parts of our economy too. Have we become better as a nation in terms of how we, I guess, care for food isn't the right word, but how we look after food, not how we eat it as consumers. Yeah. I know we have a lot of work to do, but are we better yeah. about how clean we're eating as a nation? There are much better options available now. It's too early to say that a nation has adopted all of that. The growth is happening. I mean, every year, billions of dollars, they're moving away from, call it old, big food toward new, innovative, mission-driven food. And that is a better thing for our health as a nation and our health as a planet. But it's too early to say they've been adopted in mainstream ways. I mean, that's one reason I'm so excited when I see, you know, our honest kids carried in these mainstream chains. It really does suggest that the marketplace is evolving. But even at a federal level, is there still so much that's escaping yeah. right past? The- There's nothing, nothing exciting or innovative happening in, from a government perspective. And again, that goes back to why I said government's not the only way to make change happen. The good news here is the government's not getting in the way. And it is entrepreneurs and businesses that are really going about this mission-driven change in a very impactful way. And, And so no one has to rely on the government to do that. Seth, you've been amazing to share your time. You've been so gracious. I don't know what to say. You've been my mentor of sorts without even you knowing it necessarily. So (laughs) I really appreciate the time and everything that you had to offer here. Thank you. Thanks. Great to be with you, Pete. Thanks, Seth. Thank you for listening to Missions and Marketplace. If you have a brand or business that you want to take online or you're already online and looking for more exposure, visit us at AffiliateMission.com the premier affiliate marketing and management agency. Also feel free to get social with us and check our Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter pages and share with us your story on how you're leaving a mark in the world. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable and I'm just ferocious.